0: Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, brought to you by Bethany Lutheran Church in Cherry Hills Village, Colorado. Today is the third week in our Advent series, the week of joy. This will be a Bible study focused on Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. So get those Bibles out and ready and be ready for some joy. (laughs) Here we go. Here we go, part three of this Advent series on the themes of the different weeks. Advent week three is the week of joy. Yes, so much joy in this season, right? We feel it, we know it, all the jolly songs on the radio and playing over the loudspeakers in the store, all the cheesy movies on the Hallmark Channel and appearing on your Netflix accounts. All of the funny episodes of your favorite television show that just are filled with joy. That's great. It's certainly a big part of this year. And yeah, it's been a part of the Advent season for a long time. Long before Netflix and Christmas radio stations. But one little fun fact. You might have noticed that there are two different ways that an Advent wreath can look, right? We have that Advent wreath at church and it's got four candles and we have four blue candles and that's great. But sometimes, maybe you have one in your home, sometimes Advent wreaths have three purple candles and one pink candle. Weird, right? Well, truth be told, the pink candle you're supposed to light on the third week. The pink candle is the candle of joy, and so they changed the colors up. I don't have a lot more information for you on exactly why that is, but it's just a little fun fact that I wanted to give us to start off. But but enough about, you know, candles and and all that. Let's dive into what the Bible has to say. Today is our our focus on joy, and so the scripture passage that I selected is Luke chapter 1 verses 39 through 56 and this is a passage that we will often hear read during the advent season maybe on the third week of advent Um, sometimes on other weeks as well if I recall correctly Um, but we're going to read it today this is a story of Mary uh, going to meet with her cousin Elizabeth uh, when they are both pregnant with children. And so, just so you might need to know a little bit of background information before I jump into the actual verse-by-verse examination, Elizabeth is the wife of Zechariah. Zechariah was one of the chief priests in the temple, and they had no children for their whole life. And she's old, and she thought she'd never have children, and then Zechariah, as I said, he was a priest, he says a prayer. And the angel Gabriel appears and tells him that his wife will have a son and they'll name him John. And so, for five months, Elizabeth was in seclusion. She w- that was just kind of how the things worked in those days. Um, and, and she was really secluded, I should say, too, because J- uh, Zechariah was not able to talk. He couldn't believe what the angel Gabriel was telling him. And so uh, because of his doubt, the angel Gabriel Gabriel made Zachariah uh, unable to speak. And in fact, the first words that he'll say are after his son John is born. And he'll say, we shall call him John. Um, And that will go on to be John the Baptist. Crazy, right? Like, look at all these connections. But it is six months after all this has taken place. That that's when Gabriel, the angel, comes and visits Mary, who happens to be Elizabeth's younger cousin. And Gabriel tells Mary that she will give birth to Jesus, who will be the Messiah, the Son of God. Wow, so lots going on there, right? Like, this is like one of those Hallmark Christmas movies, isn't it? So many crazy connections and funny things happening. Um, But basically, yeah, John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins, Um, just as Mary and Elizabeth were cousins, right? I don't exactly know how all that works out. And they were born six months apart, and the angel Gabriel came and proclaimed and predicted their births to um, their parents. So our story picks up in Luke chapter one with verse 39. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Okay, so in these two verses, we hear that Mary went with haste. She was working quickly. She had to go fast, and this was her own doing. This was her own choice. This wasn't because the angel Gabriel told her, like, go quickly and visit your cousin Elizabeth. No, this is a sign of Mary's joy. She's excited. She can't wait to tell her older cousin about the angel who has said that she's miraculously pregnant. So right in the beginning, we're getting these glimpses of joy just in the details that Luke gives us. Now we hear in verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, the child moving in Elizabeth's womb has significance. As I've already told you, it's John the Baptist. John the Baptist will be the one who prepares the way for Jesus. When Jesus comes to be baptized by John, in fact, John the Baptist refuses to do it because of how important he sees Jesus to be. Eventually, he does baptize Jesus. But elsewhere in Scripture, okay, just to give you some other parallels that are going on here, Jacob and Esau struggled fiercely in Rebekah's womb. You might remember Jacob and Esau, they were twins, their father was Isaac, they had a whole sibling rivalry thing, Jacob tricked Esau, et cetera, et cetera. But so they struggled fiercely in the womb. There's some details about that. And so that's kind of telling us that there's something significant about the child who will be born. The child leapt in Elizabeth's womb. Wow, there's some strange connection here between the child in Elizabeth's womb and Mary and the child in her womb. And so that's also not the only sign that we're getting here. Notice also that it says that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Clearly, something important is going on. If this was a cheesy Hallmark Christmas movie, the music would change and get very dramatic at this point. And this is also very similar, and it's actually the fulfilling of a prophecy, that Gabriel spoke to Zechariah. So if you look back earlier, I know I'm making you jump around, how could I? But if you look back a little earlier in Luke chapter 1, in verse 15, Um, This is when the angel Gabriel is speaking to Zechariah, right? Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. So that's what it says in verse 15. This is part of Gabriel's prediction to Zechariah. All of it is setting it up for us to see and to realize that The child that Elizabeth is carrying is very important, just like we know the child Mary is carrying is also important. All right, so moving on to verse 42. Elizabeth, oh, I'll read it for you. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb because of the child leaping within her, because of being filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth has a revelation. She immediately recognizes that the child Mary is carrying is something significant. And she offers, in this brief verse, four oracles, they're called. This is the fancy term that biblical scholars use. Oracles are prophetic predictions. First, Elizabeth says that Mary is blessed and the baby will be blessed. Note, uh, and, and so I should mention, there, there will be some more, the oracles come later, it's not all <laughs> in this one verse, but, but I just wanted to point it out. First, she says that Mary is blessed and the baby will be blessed. And note, an important note here, Elizabeth has never been visited by an angel. It was her husband, Zechariah, who had the miraculous connection with Gabriel. Uh, Elizabeth just knows that she's finally pregnant But this whole moment of first seeing her cousin, Mary, who's come to visit, fills her with the Holy Spirit. The child leaps in her womb and she starts to make prophetic predictions as a result of this whole interaction. We read now in verse 43, Elizabeth says, and why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? You see, Elizabeth can't believe how blessed she is. First, she's miraculously pregnant, and now the mother of her Lord is visiting. And notice, just a fun little tidbit and detail here, notice that John is technically the one who declares to his mother that the Lord has come. John's just, you know, in vitro, and he's in Elizabeth's womb, and yet is the, it's his leaping that helps Elizabeth make this entire connection. John was already doing his job of preparing the way for Jesus. John was already doing that before he was even born. It harkens us back to that passage in Jeremiah where, where God says to Jeremiah, I knew you before you were in the womb. I, I, I had a plan for you long before you were born. Look, John, before he's born is helping the world know about the significance and importance of Jesus. This is what he'll dedicate his life to. I also should note that in this verse, we get the second of Elizabeth's oracles. As I said, her prophetic predictions. She says that the mother of, that she's, she predicts that the, the child in Mary's womb is God. Okay, now verse 44. For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And if we look back at verse 14, I know, again, I'm making you jump around. We're making making you work for it for the Sunday of joy. Oops, my book closed. In the verse 14, it says, Gabriel says to Zechariah, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. And so... You're seeing all the occurrences of joy here, aren't you? Gabriel told Zechariah that the baby John would bring joy and that's exactly what's happening right now. Elizabeth is joyful about the wondrous thing that is happening in her cousin Mary's life. And this of course is the third oracle, the third prophetic prediction that John has begun to fulfill his calling. Now verse 45, and Elizabeth says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Elizabeth has said all of this without really consulting Mary. She declares that she will trust and believe what the Lord spoke to her. And how did she even know at that point that that God had spoken to Mary? This is... The fourth and final prophetic prediction, Elizabeth seems to have some sort of insight beyond what she could possibly know at that point in time. And an important note here, the blessing comes from trusting God. Joy comes from trusting God. This is a biblical theme, but it's stated clearly here for us in verse 45 blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the lord and so now finally after all of that mary says her first words (laughs) this is a incredible magical moment where she rushes to see her cousin and her cousin has these prophetic predictions and is overcome by the holy spirit and then mary responds In a similarly joyous, similarly prophetic way. She says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary is so overcome by joy here from what has already happened. Remember, right? She went with haste to see her cousin. She was so excited, so joyful about this amazing thing that happened. And then as soon as she arrives, Elizabeth greets her with all of these incredible words and the unborn child in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy and Mary launches into song. You, you can begin again to see it in this, and feel the joy. Think of the Hallmark Christmas movie about all of this kind of happening. Boom, 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 one after another. And so, just for a second, I want to pause here um, because there's some themes about, that we see in Luke's gospel that, that are starting here. Again, this is the first chapter of Luke, but some of the stuff that's happening here will be indicative of Luke's writing in the coming chapters. In Luke's gospel, there's lots of different songs, just like the one that Mary is launching into here. And it's a really unique feature of Luke's gospel. If you're ever looking for those songs like these, you're going to find it in Luke. And, and keep in mind that Luke was a companion of Paul. I don't know if you knew that, but in the book of Acts, Luke starts writing about some things and, and he mentions Paul and tells Paul's story and even says that, yeah, he was a companion of Paul at different points in time. And so he went on a lot of Paul's journeys throughout Europe and visited a lot of Christian communities, early First generation, second generation Christian churches. And so scholars believe that many of the songs that we find in Luke's gospel were likely songs that were sung in the early Christian church. And Luke would have had first hand experience of seeing these sung on a Sunday morning in a church service. And so the early church had lots of different songs and passed them down and used them in worship. And Luke then incorporates them into his telling and his writing of the gospel story. I think that's super cool. I think that's super cool. And and that this Mary song that we hear was likely one that early Christian churches were singing on a Sunday morning. All right, back to the biblical text. Here we go. So we're going to continue with Mary's song. This is verse 49. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, and he has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and set the rich away empty. The theme of this song is about all the ways that the Lord's coming is good for all of God's people, and the ways that God will level the playing field. And we see this most clearly in the ways that God sends a weak little baby to overthrow the powerful. Mary's reflecting upon all of this with the words of her song, and you can see that it means something real for her. Mary wasn't anything important or significant. Her cousin Elizabeth kind of was because Elizabeth was the wife of Zachariah the priest, but really neither Mary nor Elizabeth are, are particularly powerful, influential people at all, and yet God has come to them. And I think that this must have clued Mary in to the joyful message that her son Jesus would bring, one where the playing field gets leveled, where the, 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 the mighty are cast down from their thrones and the lowly are uplifted, just as she is being uplifted by, by her role in this entire story. In Jesus's life, he will continue on in these ways of casting down the mighty and lifting up the weak. In Jesus's life, he will scatter the proud and the sinful who are in the temple, as you might remember. And so that looks just like what Mary says in verse 51. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Jesus will teach in the synagogue about uplifting the lowly, just as Mary predicts in verse 52. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. And Jesus will talk about the need for the rich to give away their possessions. And just as Mary says in verses 53, and sent the rich away empty. Jesus will feed the hungry. As we see in verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. You see, Mary is praising God as Savior, but it's Jesus who will bring salvation in all of these ways, thereby starting in the beginning of Luke's gospel through this song of Mary, connecting Jesus with the salvific actions of God. All right, let's close it out. Verse 54, 55, and 56. Mary continues with her song. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and then returned to her home. In these final part, this final lines from Mary's song, she recalls the history of God's salvation. God makes, God makes promises and keeps those promises to the people of Israel. You see, Mary was a good Jew who knew her Bible stories and her history, her Torah. And additionally, this entire song is actually very similar to the song of Hannah, which you can find in 1 Samuel way back in the Old Testament. It's likely that Mary knew the song of Hannah and had to learn it at some point in her youth. And so she's giving her own rendition of Hannah's song. And it flows out of the joy that she has for everything that's going on and out of her trust and her faith that God will keep God's promises, that God will continue to work on behalf of the lowly, that salvation will come in all of these tangible, real ways. The story, the song from Mary, it's the perfect picture of joy. I love that we get to read it for the third Sunday of Advent. Right? It's connected to hope for the future. It's not a fleeting moment in time. And I think that's a key feature of joy. Additionally, it's connected to what God is doing in her life right then and what God will do in the lives of others. I think that's where true joy comes from as well. And it's, it's all being expressed through this song of praise to God. I think that's also a key feature of joy, is that it's something that causes us to, to not be able to keep silent, to, to leap for joy, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to break into song. That's what joy is all about. And so I wanted to close this Bible study, and, and maybe this is the worst way to close it, because I'm not sure how good my singing voice will be or come through. <laughs> But there is a beautiful version of this Song of Mary. Um, the whole song that we write it's often referred to as the Magnificat. So if you do a Google search for that, you will find all sorts of beautiful renditions of the Magnificat, um, sung by choirs, and you know, it's a piece of music that people have been captivated, captivated by for, for many, many years. But my favorite version of the Magnificat comes from something called Holden Evening Prayer, which, which you might have sung before. It's uh, one that churches love to use during Lent or Advent, during like midweek services. is a very beautiful uh, piece of music. And, and actually, I sing it to my children almost every night. It's like their bedtime lullaby, which is really cool. Um, and my daughter, Evelyn, said a while back, she said, Dad, I love this music. It just feels so cozy. <laughs> yeah, I think there's, there's joy in that little remark too. Uh, but I wanted to sing for you uh, the Magnificat as it exists within um, Holden Evening Prayer. And you'll hear it's, you know, all those same words once again. And I hope that it can fill you with joy this third week of Advent. Here we go.
1: An angel went from God to a town called Nazareth, to a woman whose name was Mary. The angel said to her, Rejoice, O highly favored, for God is with you. You shall bear a child And his name shall be Jesus, The Chosen One of God Most High. And Mary said, I am the servant of my God, I live to do your will. My soul proclaims your greatness, O God, And my spirit rejoices in you. You have looked with love on your servant here. And blessed me all my life through. Great and mighty are you. O Holy One, strong is your kindness evermore. How you favor the weak and lowly one, humbling the proud of heart. You have cast the mighty down from their thrones and uplifted the humble of heart. You have filled the hungry with wondrous things and left the wealthy no part. Great and mighty are you, O faithful one. Strong is your justice, strong your love. As you promised to Sarah and Abraham kindness forevermore. My soul proclaims your greatness, O God, and my spirit rejoices in you. You have looked with love on your servant here, and blessed me all my life through. This has been
0: the Together for Good podcast. Stay in peace.